0: As you know, we are working our way through uh, the one word devotional book, and we're looking at words throughout this year from the scriptures that pertain to our faith. And the words that we've been looking at the last few weeks are about the relationships that we share with one another as Christians. Last week, we talked about elders. And so naturally, this week, we're going to talk about deacons. And similar to elders, deacons were men who served uh, in an appointed role in the New Testament church. Both elder and deacon, as we read our New Testament, uh, we can see that they were formal roles or a formal, uh, formal office in which men could serve the local church. Elders, we see from the pages of the New Testament, led. They were the bishops or the overseers or the shepherds. But deacon's job in the New Testament church was to serve. And in fact, the word deacon is from the Greek word diakonos. And that word literally means servant. And it kind of was never translated. It just sort of slid over into English and became our word deacon. But if the Bible were being written in our day and age, the word that we would use for this role in our, in our church, would be servant. That is literally what the word deacon means. Now, let me share a couple passages of Scripture that tell us about deacons. I mentioned this one last week. It's from the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. When Paul is greeting the church at Philippi, listen to what he says. He says hello to the saints, and that's all the Christians. And if you're a baptized believer, I hope that you know that you're a saint. You are somebody who's been set apart. Saint in the New Testament is not a word for an elite, super spiritual believer as as it has become in our vernacular. Saints was used to refer to all the Christians, all the believers. So when Paul addresses the church at Philippi, he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were there at that city, along with the overseers, the elders, and those special servants that we now call... Deacons. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul provides a list of qualifications for elders, and we we mentioned that last week. But right after that, he provides some qualifications for this office of of deacon. And so they had deacons uh, in the early church, and so we have deacons today out of our desire here, out of our aim to restore New Testament Christianity. To practice the faith as the earliest believers did. We have elders as they did. We have deacons as they did. And many men have served in this role, in this place, at this local congregation at Winchester. Uh, Many men through the years have served, including many uh, who are here today. And I'm not going to mention those, but we have several men in our midst who have once served as deacons, but no longer serve. And we see in the scriptures, like elders, there's no indication that these roles are lifetime appointments. And so we've got men here who have served as elders who are no longer serving, and also men who have served as deacons who, for whatever reason, stepped away. But we are, and of course, many deacons who have passed away, who have who have served this congregation well. But we are currently blessed with 15 men who serve this place, who serve this congregation as deacons. And you may not be aware of who they are. You may not know their names. Let me share them with you. They are Joel Slayton, Ralph Underwood, Tony Harrison, Greg Heatherly, Terry Rogers, Kyle Ashby, Kevin Caroland, Bruce Stewart, Troy Wells, Jerry Crownover, John Kelly, Eddie Martin, David Wilkerson, Brooks Lynch, and Lou Fister. And at this time, I would like, I don't think I mentioned this to these guys, except for one, so this may be a surprise. I'd like for our deacons to come down, uh, stand on up, and come on down, and we're going to have a special prayer uh, asking God to bless these men in their service to our congregation. So y'all don't be shy. Come on down. And I know of at least one who is not with us today. I think if we want a more productive, fruitful, effective congregation, where do we start? Do we start with some elaborate plan in order to reach out to the lost? Do we put a program in place? Well, all of these things are important, but I think where we start is right here with our deacons. We start with the very infrastructure of the Lord's church. And these men have been selected and appointed to serve in this role. And you know what? This is, this is sort of um, um, not intuitive to have them up here because they are servants. And they, by their very nature, serve in ways that are often not recognized. They serve uh, behind the scenes. But this morning, we want to have them before us so that we can say a prayer asking God to bless them as they serve us at this place. So would you bow with me as we pray? Father, we come before you as humbly as we know how. And we thank you for loving us and for blessing us in so many wonderful ways. Father, at this time we're thankful for this body of believers, this church of your people that meets at this place. We're thankful for the warm fellowship and the encouragement that we derive from our brothers and sisters when we get together. Father, we're thankful for our elders, our shepherds who lead this flock, We're thankful for these men, our deacons, who serve this flock and who work tirelessly, often behind the scenes in ways that we don't see, uh, to make things happen, to keep things running smoothly, to plan uh, ministry events, to make sure programs go off without a hitch, uh, to follow through with the mission of this church, the mission that the elders are committed to, which is to seek and to save those who are lost. Father, hold up these men. uh, Instill in them integrity and character. Uh, Give them the strength and endurance they need to continue serving well. Thank you for their dedication and the sacrifices that they make, in many cases, to serve this congregation. Father, protect them from the evil one and help them to continue doing their job in in an excellent way. I'm so thankful for each and every one of them and all the different ways that they serve. Help us all to keep this stellar group of men in our prayers every day as they serve us. And Father, thank you for the example of service that they set as they follow our Lord Jesus Christ, who is servant of all. Help us to follow their example of servanthood as well. Thank you most of all for Jesus, and it's in his name we offer this prayer. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen, for what you do. As I mentioned earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Maybe you want to grab a Bible and go there with me. 1 Timothy, in your New Testament, chapter 3, starting at verse 8. We see a list of qualifications for deacons, for these special servants that we have just seen before us. And of course, it goes without saying that this passage should be heeded by a congregation when selecting deacons, and we do when it's time to select new deacons. This is the passage that we go to, and we consult this, and we make sure that the men who are being selected line up with these qualifications, and certainly the men who serve our deacons, this should be a passage that they consult, and that they aim uh, to to be guided and and directed by the words here from the apostle Paul, but what I'm what I want to ask you this morning is why shouldn't it be used this passage as a roadmap for all Christians for all the saints who want to be exceptional servants? If this is the list of the uh, of qualifications for those who want to serve as deacon, then Why wouldn't it be useful for all of us who want to grow in our servanthood to Christ? So I want to spend the rest of our time this morning applying these teachings, these qualifications for deacons to all of us. And to see if we can learn something about being better servants for Christ from what Paul has to share in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a servant by default. You are. If you're a baptized believer, you have made yourself a servant before God and you serve a God who is a servant himself, a holy, righteous God who has been serving his people from the very beginning, who out of love has has come down and visited his people and has had great concern and compassion for them. And when he sent his son to this earth, his son himself said, I came not to 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 be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for all. So Jesus Christ, our Lord, is a servant and he's the greatest example of a servant. And he calls us to be servant. He says, do you want to be great? Do you want to be significant? It doesn't come through power. It comes through being a servant and a slave to all greatness in God's kingdom, significance in God's kingdom comes from lowering yourself from deciding to be a servant to your fellow man. So if you're a Christian, you're already a servant. And Paul, in this passage, invites us into a life of more devoted service to him. And I don't care where you are on your journey on this Christian walk, you can stand to grow in your service to God. So whether you've just... Begin the journey, or if you're well along the way and and you are a mature believer, there is always room for improvement. You can take the next step. You can become an even more exceptional servant. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants to show you how. And so, this morning, I want to derive five principles or observations from this passage our passage today from 1 Timothy 3 reveals to us that exceptional servants have five things in common. And I want to share with you, I am drawing some from the devotional book that you're going to be reading, uh, the, the readings on deacons that you're going to be engaging in this next week. So, first of all, exceptional servants, and if you're a, a writer or a journaler, you've got a notebook, you may want to jot these down. Exceptional servants, number one, strive to strengthen their character. They strive to strengthen their character. And that seems to be the focus of the very first verse in this section of verse 8, when Paul says, deacons likewise must be dignified. Their demeanor is dignified. Another way of saying that is they're reverent. They're worthy of respect. The old King James said they are grave. Now, that doesn't mean they are overly serious and they don't know how to smile and laugh and enjoy humor and laugh at themselves. It just means that they take their job as a servant of Christ very seriously. That they understand the gravity and the weight of that responsibility. That they know the job they have to do is very important. Their demeanor is dignified. Their speech is trustworthy. Paul says they're not double-tongued. They don't say one thing to this group of people and something else to that group. They're not deceptive in their speech. You know you're going to get the straight story from them. They're not going to tell lies. They're going to speak the truth. Their speech is trustworthy. Exceptional servants speak the truth. Their life is under control. They avoid they're not addicted to much wine. They avoid addictive substances because they know that sobriety brings about clarity of mind and charity of heart. And when you're sober, that is when you're, when you're clear-headed and you're able to treat people the way that they're supposed to be treated, with respect and dignity and love. And their priorities are in order. They're not motivated by, gener- uh, by greed. They don't have this desire to have more and more. They are motivated by generosity. They are obsessed and they desire to give. More and more of their time and their energy and their resources to the Lord's work. And so for Paul, exceptional servants must have strong character. And if you aim to be an exceptional servant, and we all should, we want to strive to strengthen and grow our character. Now number two, Paul shares with us that exceptional servants remember the importance of a clear conscience. He says, deacons, but we are following the lead of our special servants this morning, and so all of us must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, says Paul. What is the conscience? One good way of thinking about it is, or a good illustration to use, is it is your moral GPS. It is meant to alert you when your life and your choices are off track. And it tells you when you need to take a left turn or a right turn, or maybe you need to make a U-turn in the middle of the road. That's your conscience. But let me share with you what the Bible has to say about our consciences. They are pliable. They're malleable. They can be molded. What Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, we ought to remember. He says, our consciences can be seared as with a hot iron. Our consciences can be so damaged to the point that they are no longer trustworthy. They can be so eroded, so distorted, that it becomes a voice that we ought not to listen to anymore. As we choose evil and unrighteousness, as we make those decisions in our lives, those damage our conscience. And they become seared as with a hot iron, and they are not trustworthy. However, your conscience can be shaped by the truth instead of the lies of Satan by the truth of God's Word. We should be shaping and molding our conscience to jive with the very Word of God. And then it becomes a voice inside of us that is trustworthy, that we ought to listen to, and that we ought to heed. And exceptional servants allow God to form their conscience through devotion to Him and reading of the Scriptures and gathering with the saints And a devoted life of prayer. All of this forms our conscience and makes it a trustworthy voice. And then they follow it. They don't just stop with the listening. They follow through. Exceptional servants remember the importance of a clear conscience. Exceptional servants also view challenges and temptations as opportunities. Paul says, let deacons be tested first. Let them go through some hard stuff in their life that will develop in them a stronger faith, and then you know they're ready to take on the task of a special servant. Let them be tested. Let them go through some hardship so that they can build up steadfastness and endurance and patience. And that will lead them to maturity, as James talks about. We talked about that in our Sunday school class. Tests should be seen as classrooms. That can make our faith stronger. And Paul says the result of that is blamelessness. And what does he mean by blamelessness? When we read that word, it sounds so high and unattainable to be blameless. It sounds impossible. Because it sounds to us like sinless perfection. But that's not the idea here. That Paul has in mind when he says you'll be blameless. He's talking about not sinless perfection. But a willingness to confess your sin. To the one who's made you blameless already. Through the blood of Christ. And so you're humble. And you acknowledge that there's temptation in your life. And when you are tripped up by it. You know how to handle your sin in a biblically appropriate way. You are not too prideful to, to ignore it, and not admit it. You're willing to say, I messed up, and I need God's forgiveness. And so I confess my sin, and I know as a baptized believer, God will forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from my unrighteousness through the blood of Christ. That's being blameless. That's being above reproach. Nobody can make a charge against you because you're honest with yourself, and you admit when you mess up, and you ask God to forgive you. So being blameless is not being perfect. Being blameless is acknowledging that you're not perfect but you know the one who is the one who can make you blameless by the blood of his son and so challenges and temptations that we face become opportunities for us to grow in our faith and for us to become the mature believers that god has called us to be number four exceptional servants do not neglect their families. Paul is very clear about this when it comes to elders and deacons. He says, let deacons be the husband of one wife, let them manage their children and their own households well. And if we want to be exceptional servants, we will not ignore the very important job of tending to the faith of our families. Exceptional servants love their spouses deeply. They train their children diligently. They manage their home effectively. Exceptional servants are first concerned with making sure their family stays in the faith. Listen to the strong words of Paul a little bit later in this book, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives... And especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. Paul says, if you don't care for your family, if you're not concerned with the spiritual growth of your spouse and your children, you might as well not have been a believer to begin with. I wish that you had never come to the faith, if you're going to treat your family like that. So if we are to be exceptional servants, we will tend to the spiritual well-being of our families. And lastly, exceptional servants know that serving well produces great benefits, and blessings in our lives. Listen to Paul here, the last verse of our section. Those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, a good reputation, an acknowledgement from others that their ministry is good and effective and God-honoring. So, people will respect you from serving Him well. People will acknowledge that, that you are a, a devoted and devout servant of God, but also great confidence you will gain in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You will gain for yourself greater boldness as a believer, greater confidence in the faith, greater assurance in the words of Scripture and in the promises of God. So let's strive to be exceptional servants. Let's strengthen our character and remember that having a clear conscience is vital. Let's view challenges and temptations as opportunities. Let's not neglect our families. And let's remember that there are good things in store for those who serve well. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, if you're just getting started or if you're well into the journey, you can take one more step Towards more exceptional service to God. And the prayer of all of us this morning should be, Lord, make me a servant. Servanthood begins in the watery grave of baptism. And if you are not a baptized believer this morning, if you've never been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you can be made one with Christ, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I implore you to come and to make that happen this this morning. There is not a good reason for you to wait any longer if you're in that condition. You can come. You can be saved. You can be made right with God. You can be assured of a relationship in the presence of God forevermore. Or... If you're struggling with something, listen, this is a family. This is a family who loves and who has concern and great care for everybody, but especially for those who are of the household of faith who might be struggling with sin uh, or some difficulty in your life. And this is a great opportunity for, for anybody who that may describe to come and to say, you know, I've been praying to God about this. But I also need the support of my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is an opportunity for you to come and to make things right with God. Would you do that right now as we stand and sing?